You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Uh, before I get into the message today, I just want to let everyone know that the construction site is going to be open uh, after each service today. So we've been able to do this about every four weeks or so for a few months now. So a lot has happened in four weeks, if you were able to be here four weeks ago when we could walk through it. Uh, one of the exciting things is yesterday they just completed the resurfacing and painting and lining out of the four basketball courts. So they look amazing. Uh, so amazing, we don't want you to touch them. So just look at them. They, they need to kind of cure and do all that kind of stuff. In fact, I was talking to somebody yesterday. They look so amazing. I don't want to use them, you know, because you use them, they're going to get, well, they're going to get dinged. But it's amazing. So take a look at the courts, walk through the building. Uh, that'll be after each service today, so you can enter just through the, the courtyard in that direction. And then related to that, we, uh, we have a really exciting announcement. It looks like our first Sunday in the new building is going to be December 5th, so we're ahead of schedule. Looks like we'll be able to use it. Yeah, so exciting. So on that Sunday, December 5th, um, in here, we're going to focus on the dedication of that building. The kids are going to be using the building. And then we're going to have some fun activities outside in front of the building while the kids are still in there using it kind of at the end of the service. So we've got some fun things planned for uh, Dedication Sunday of that building on December 5th. So mark your calendars. If you're going to Hawaii, cancel the trip. Make sure you're here uh, on that Sunday, uh, December 5th. So that's pretty exciting uh, coming up. Now, in this message series that we started last week, we're looking at how people tick. The assumption in the title, How People Tick, is that just like with the face of a watch, there's something going on. There's something ticking behind our face that's driving what we do. Uh, now, most watches, like this watch, they don't make a ticking sound. Modern watches don't, you know, you can get some that do, but most of them don't. They're silent. And that's kind of the way our ticking has always been. Stuff going on inside that you can't see, and it's always been silent. But we know there's something going on. And that's why we often talk about wanting to find out what makes a person tick. What we're saying is there, there's something going on. There's something deep inside that's driving them to do and say the things that they're doing. Now, ticking is never a random thing, and that's because it's a product of design. Someone made the watch, which is why it works, why it ticks the way it does. Someone made us, which is why we tick and why there's an inside part of us. God is the one who made us. And when it comes to the question of what makes us tick, God points to our hearts as the source behind everything that we do, every decision that we make, every word that we say. So in Proverbs 4.23, we are told this, Above all else, guard your heart. Why? For it is the wellspring of life. Everything comes out of your heart. Human behavior, this is saying, is, it's kind of like a river. It has a source. A spring from which, you know, water deep underground like this spring just kind of wells up and it's the beginning, the headwaters of the river and everything that flows downstream started in the spring. Now the wellspring that drives the flow of our behavior, what we do, is our heart. Not, of course, the beating organ in our chest, but the, the thinking, the feeling, the deciding center and core of who we really are. It's what the Bible refers to as our heart. And so what gets into our heart, like a spring, it shapes, for good or for bad, everything that flows downstream, everything that comes out of it, every behavior comes out of our heart. So let's begin with some behavior examples. 
And we're going to use these and a few other examples to go through to kind of take a look at what the Bible has to say about what's going on in the heart. But we'll, let's start with some behavior examples. Common experience we have driving in Southern California is someone cuts you off in traffic. Okay? Um, people respond to that differently. There's different behaviors. Uh, for me, there have been times when I have caught up to an individual, I've made sure they see me, I've honked my horn, and I've glared at them. That's a behavior. Uh, there's been other times where I've done that, I've gotten up to them, I've gotten ready to honk my horn, and I've decided not to. Two different behaviors. Why? What changed? What happened in my heart that caused those two different behaviors? We'll look at that. Another example. This past fall, uh, seeing as we're talking about the kids' building, a lot of people here at Seabreeze decided to give money in a one-time gift and to pledge to give money over three years that would allow us to accomplish what we're going to celebrate on December 5th, the new kids' building. That's a behavior. Why would someone decide to do that? I mean, it's always amazing when someone is generous at any time, but of course, during these uncertain times, it's, it's pretty amazing. Why would someone do that? That's another behavior that we're going to consider. So let's look at our hearts. Now normally, if you're here on a Sunday morning, I, I have an outline that helps you kind of think through what we're talking about. You know, that's well-organized with points and subpoints and some verses. This time you've got a blank page. If you're here in the auditorium, you've got a blank page. I don't know how you're going to do this digitally, so just grab a piece of paper, but I want you to draw. So this is for the artists among us. This is going to be a diagram Sunday, okay? So let's start with a heart. The outline, of course, our heart doesn't look like this, but this is our common image of heart. And again, we're not talking about the physical organ. We're talking about the center, the core of who we are. In the Bible, God identifies three components that are present and at work in every one of our hearts. The first thing that we find in our heart is desire. We have desires. And our desires are, well, they're just the urges that rise up from deep inside of us. We don't choose these urges. They are kind of like a spring. They just bubble up to the surface from inside of us. And our desires fall into two categories. We have some good desires and we have some bad desires. There's positives and there's negatives when it comes to our desires. And both are always present. Even when we're doing something good, there's the desire to not do some good. And when we're doing something bad, there's the desire to do good. They're just always there fighting in our hearts. It's always a part of what we do. So if I'm cut off in traffic like you, there's some bad desires that urge that usually really dominate. They, I, I want to I exact some kind of revenge. I want to make a point that that was not appropriate. But there's also a part of me that, you know, I just want to forgive, forget it. It's not worth it. Let it go. And if I'm asked, like we asked all of us to pray this last fall about what God might want us to give to this building project, whenever I'm asked to pray, I'm sure it's like you. There's a part of me that really wants to be generous. And there's a part of me that says, no, and I don't want to be generous. I want to be selfish. Good desires, bad desires. In every area of life, they're just always there. So in the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, the people of God have just given generously to the construction of the temple. And King David, who was king at the time, in verse 18, 
prays at the dedication of the temple, and he prays this, O Lord, God, our fathers, Abraham, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever. Desire in the hearts, so desires in the hearts, keep the desire, this desire in the hearts of your people forever, and keep their hearts loyal to you. What he's talking about is, right now, it was pretty obvious, their desire to do good, their desire to please God and, and be a part of what he's doing in the world was running high. The evidence of it was how generous they had just been in giving to the construction of the temple. So no one was questioning their desire. But what David was saying is, keep their hearts loyal. Why would he pray that? It's because our desires are highly unstable. Just because we have a good desire doesn't mean it's always going to win. Just because we have a bad desire doesn't mean it's always going to win. Our desires are really unstable. They tend to, over time, left unchecked, go downward, not upward. But they're both there. And loyalty, that word loyalty that David is using here, is the ability to keep a commitment despite the ups and downs of our desires. Loyalty is a unique human trait in this way that David's talking about it. It's why we can do things like make a marriage commitment, and stay married. It's not because our desires are stable. Now, if you're married, you know this. There are days when you don't want to be married. You do not desire to be married. But you have the ability to make a commitment and stick to it and be loyal to it in spite of your desires. And that's a good thing. So thankfully, our hearts are not just one impulse after another. Our desires are filtered. So we don't just go to a desire straight to behavior. Our desires are filtered. Animals go directly from desire to behavior. We call that instinct. But human behavior is more complex. For every desire, it's filtered through two filters. The first filter we're going to talk about is our perspective, our perspective. So if you're writing the diagram, just write that perspective. I should have told you, make your heart big enough. We're putting stuff in there. So if you need to flip it over or re redraw, feel free to do that. Perspective is how life works, how you think life works. What does that mean? Another way to say this is, how are you going to get what you want? We all want stuff. How are you going to go about getting it. That depends on your perspective. It depends on your understanding of the simple laws of cause and effect. We live in a world of cause and effect. We do this, this happens. We want a different effect, we have to do something different. So, you decide what you want, and then your mind goes about thinking, okay, given what I know about how life works, what's the best path that I can take to get what I want? I have a desire, how am I going to get it? So, if I want this outcome, this effect, what's the best course of action to get it? What's the best cause that will generate that effect? So, back to our example of a generous person. That's a behavior. Some people are not generous with their money. Why? 
Is it because they don't want to do any good in life? No. Probably like everyone, they would like to do good. And like everyone else, they don't want to do good. They have the desire to do good, but the reason someone isn't generous as a pattern is most likely because their perspective on life is that the primary cause of everything they really want in this life is money. That's their perspective. Money is the big cause that drives almost every effect that they want. So, it would not be logical, given that perspective, for them to part with much or usually any of their money. To be generous doesn't make sense to them, given their perspective. And that perspective filters every decision they make, especially the financial decisions. Proverbs chapter 23 in the Old Testament warns about accepting gifts from someone who has this perspective. Here's what it says in verse 7 of 23. For he, speaking of this individual, is the kind of man who's always thinking about the cost. That makes sense given their perspective. Eat and drink, he says. So basically saying, I'll, I'll pick up the tab or come into the house, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a good meal. That's what he says. But his heart is not with you. What is this saying? It may look like a gift from this individual, but if their perspective on life is a stingy perspective, they don't give gifts. This is really a transaction. And what you can know is that there's a string attached to this gift. They are giving because they see that there's an advantage potential coming from you in return. There will be a request, an ask, that will follow this gift. This is not, it looks like a gift, but it's not a gift. Given this person's perspective, they don't give gifts freely. They don't just give no strings attached things to anybody. And if you accept that gift, you will loathe the day you did that because of all the strings that are attached to it. You will end up paying more in grief and cost than that gift was ever worth. The King James Version translation of these Hebrew words says it this way, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's speaking of the thinking, which is the perspective part of, of our heart. It's the thinking part where we're trying to figure out, how does life work? What's my perspective? It's where we decide what really is most important, how things work. And then it's out of how we think life works, then we act. So is he? He thinks in his heart. So what's he thinking in his heart? Money is the key to life. That's his perspective. So out of that thinking, so is he. That comes that behavior. He's not going to give gifts, and if he gives gifts, there's going to be strings attached to it. They're not real gifts. So watch out. So let's go back to another example that we talked about. A person cuts me off in traffic. I begin to honk, but I stop. Other times I've honked. Why did I stop this one time? It's all because of my perspective. I began to honk because I had one perspective on what was going on, the cause and effect of what was happening. The primary perspective I had as I approached this person was that I was anonymous. No one around me knew who I was. I pulled up 
got ready to glare at them, and I realized, I know them. (laughs) That's a perspective shift. See, no longer am I anonymous. I know this person. And more importantly, they know me. And my windows aren't tinted enough for them not to see me. So I'm no longer anonymous. My perspective has now shifted. So what's different? Well, now me honking my horn, that's the cause, is going to bring about a different effect. Next time I see them, they're going to say, Bevan, what's up? We're going to have to talk about this. So I didn't honk the horn. I waved. (laughs) (laughs) Very different behavior. I mean, we we can shift perspectives. As soon as the data changes, our perspective shifts. We see it differently. But our perspective isn't the only filter that our desires go through in our hearts. The second filter is our values. Our values are what we think is important. Not just the one thing we think is important, because there's a bunch of things that are important to us, but particularly the, the order of the list of things that are important to us. So back to that driving example. Good driving is a value to me. I think people should drive better than they do generally. I value that in myself and therefore in other people. So that's why I was bothered, because this person was messing with something I think is important. But you know what else I value? What the people I know think about me. Which one do you think I value more? What people think about me. People driving correctly, that's nice. That would, be, that would save a lot of irritation. But it's, it's nowhere near the top of the things that are important to me in life. It's a preference. It's not a top value. But what people think about me, that's important to me. So given my perspective, I'm no longer anonymous. And given what I value, what people think of me matters more than me making my driving point. The behavior was waving rather than honking the horn. My desires were filtered through my perspective and my values and produced a different behavior. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is speaking with some of the religious rulers of the day, and he is confronting them on their lack of generosity. This is what he says in verse 15. He says, God knows your hearts. What is highly valued, see this is in the heart, what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So these are the religious leaders. So you'd have to say that God is at least at some level important to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made this career decision. But Jesus is confronting them and saying, actually, money is more important to you than God. See, the question of values is not about what makes it on your important list, but the real question is, what's the order of your list? Our values aren't just a jumbled pile of the things that are important to us. No, they're lined up in a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, on and on order. 
The reason they're lined up in an order is because we have to make decisions in life. And the nature of decisions being time-based and location-based, in other words, what we do is at a place and at a time, that means that we can't always get everything we want. So we have to choose what's more important in this moment. And when we choose, we are revealing the order of our value list. What's most important to us? Every behavior isn't just a decision to do something, it's also the decision not to do something. We're always therefore deciding what is more important to us right now. So God was important to these religious leaders. I'm sure they would have said, no, God's really important to us, and they would have been right. God's important. What Jesus was saying is, okay, the problem is money is more important than God is. Many things are important to us. What we have to do in life is choose one. For example, you decided to attend church today. Why? Did you have nothing else to do this morning? Now, clearly, there's lots of other things you could have done this morning, and maybe even you thought about doing them. But you had to decide. On the list of how you could spend this time, just like every decision you make, you are here because this, this morning, was to you more important than the other options. Now, like all of us, God isn't the only thing on our important list. Football's on the list. It's on my list. Getting some rest is on my list. Sunday mornings are a great time for getting some rest. Maybe surfing's on your list. Maybe youth sports is on your list. These are all good things. These are not bad things to have on your important list. They're good things. The problem is, they often occur at the same time. And therefore, you have to decide. Now, one decision on one morning isn't going to say a whole lot about the order of your list. It's the repeated decisions, the patterns that reveal your list. The, the term in, in the Bible for our behavior over time is our way. It's just our way in life. And those patterns can become pretty predictable because this is our path. This is the way we go. So one decision doesn't make a way, but a pattern of decisions make a way and determine what your list of values are. So again, the question is not what's on your important list, but what's the order of your list? Now here's the thing about both values and perspectives, is God has both. God has a perspective on how life works because he set it up. And God has a list in order of what he says is valuable. And the truth about all of us is our perspective is not aligned with his at every point. And our list is not a direct duplicate of his list. We've got things out of order. And we've got a perspective about what really makes life work that 
is somewhat right and somewhat wrong. And that's why our heart matters. That's why it says guard your heart. Watch what your perspective is, what your values are, because your behavior is in the, wor- in the world that God made that is real. So Hosea 14.9, we read this. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. What? What will he know? What will he understand? The ways of the Lord. See, the ways. His perspective, his values, his ways are right. They're not just one opinion among many. They're, just, they're right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. What this is saying is God's ways are not just one opinion among many. They are right. They're not right answers on a test kind of right. They're right about real life kind of right. So it's the righteous. The root of the word righteous is right, which means they decide they're going to get their lists lined up with God and their perspective lined up with God. The righteous, they adjust their perspective and their values to match God's, and therefore they walk in God's ways. God's paths are paths that they're working to get on, and when they get off, they get back onto God's ways. But the rebellious, those who decide that God's opinion is just one among many and they're going to do what they want to do, and they know better, they stumble in God's ways. That means is life for them is just harder than it has to be. They keep falling and hurting themselves because they're ignoring how God says life works and what God says is really valuable. And you ignore those at your peril. There's pain that comes with that. Reality trips them up. Now, we tend to focus on behavior. You know, that's the outcome. We have the desires. It's filtered through our perspective, our values, and then out comes our behavior. That's what people see. People don't see our hearts. We don't see our hearts. We just see what we do. We see what other people do. And that's why we tend to focus on behavior. Why did they do that or stop doing that? Or you may say to yourself, I wish I could stop doing this. Why don't I do this instead of that? That's what we can see. We tend to focus on that. God's primary focus is on our heart. Why? Because it is the wellspring of life. It's it's where change occurs. We lack the willpower to just change our behavior. What needs to change is our heart. So how does a heart change? Well, first, we need help from God on the inside. God has offered to move in. Now, he doesn't just barge in. We invite him into our hearts when we accept his son, Jesus Christ, to be our Lord, the one we follow, and our Savior, the one who has forgiven us. And in that moment, God says, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us, begins to take residence in us. That doesn't bring about instant change, but what that does is that begins the power of God on the inside pulling us towards God's ways, pulling us towards his perspective, pulling us towards the things that he really values. But we grow over time 
in kind of a, a two-part way. First is truth, and second is experience. First, we have to understand the truth of God's perspective and how it differs from ours, and then the truth of God's values and how that differs from ours, and then we need to experience both of those. It's kind of like walking. Truth, experience. Truth, experience. We don't get very far just truthing our way through life. You know, I almost fell just trying it. Truth, experience. Truth, experience. And the reason is this. Ideas, even the ones we think are true, they float in orbit outside of our hearts. They're just out there. We hear them. We think about them. We even decide whether we agree with these ideas or not. But agreement will not change our heart. It's not enough to change our heart. That's because ideas are driven into our hearts by experience. We have to experience the truth as real in order for it to change our hearts. So what I'm doing this morning, and every morning we gather and whoever speaks up here, we are communicating as best we can truth out of God's Word. What he says is valuable. What he says about how life works. And all of us hear these as ideas. It's like, huh, that's an interesting idea. I didn't know that. I'm not sure what I think about that. And so you're deciding when you read the Bible, when you hear someone talk about the Bible, you're deciding whether you think this is true or not. All of us have to decide. Do I, do I agree with that? Or do I think that's not true? But let's just say you decide, you know what, I agree with that. I think that is true. What happens? Well, then you go to lunch or Home Depot to pick up something, and by the time you get home, you've forgotten what I've talked about. Truth is, I've forgotten what i talked about. I mean, oftentimes, oh, you remember when you said that thing last week? I'm like, did I say that? I have to go back and look at my notes. I don't remember saying that. I, maybe I did. So truth doesn't change us. Truth that we experience changes us. Let me give you an example. My driver education class. I encountered many important driving truths. One was, I, I still remember the slide, where it was showing how many car lengths you need to have, you know, between you and the car in front of you. And then if the driving surface was rainy or icy, how much more car lengths you had to serve. And I remember seeing that slide and said, well, that makes sense. I think that's important. That, that's true. That didn't change my driving at all. <laughs> you know what changed my driving? I rear-ended a car on a rainy surface. And then a short time later, I was rear-ended on a rainy surface. You know what happens now when it rains? I don't think, hmm, wonder what I should do. I know. I mean, I just back off. <laughs> Why? Because I experienced that. It wasn't just something on a slide where I, that's, that's, a, that's a brilliant theory. I agree with that perspective on driving. No, I had to experience it as real in order for it to get into my heart. Experience is what drives the ideas into our heart. That's when they become real to us and shape us. They have to have real consequences. 
We have to experience that. Now, there's two kinds of experiences that are important to change our heart. First, we need God's Holy Spirit inside. Without that, we just can't change that much. When that happens, then there's two kinds of experiences that really help us grow. The first is personal experience. Our perspective, that's one of the two filters, our perspective is shaped by our personal experiences. That's how we know what's real, like me rear-ending a car. That was a personal experience. That was a perspective-shifting, changing moment about my driving perspective. That's what has to happen with God's truth. We have to experience it, not just read it, not just nod yes about it. We have to experience it. So in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? See? Oh, they, they're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you're Lord. That's true. But you're not doing it. <laughs> you're getting no experience on the truth. So he gives an example of what that's like. I'll show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep, laid the foundation on rock, when a flood came, the torrent struck. That house could not be shaken, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that sand it, or that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? How is it possible to call Jesus Lord and then just go off and do our own thing? entirely possible because there's a tremendous difference between what is true in our head and what is real in our heart true is what we think real is what we know by experience so when would someone be open to a change in their perspective on reality Usually, when life stops working, when their current perspective on life proves to be inadequate, when the storms of life come and what they have built collapses. That's when we're open to a perspective shift. Because in that moment, we are experiencing the reality that what we thought was going to cause this effect isn't working. So what's going on here? We need to figure out what's really causing what's going on. This has been a stormy year. A lot of lives have changed, or have collapsed, rather. And I think most will gather the pieces of their lives and start rebuilding on the sand. That's what Jesus is saying. Describes this as building on the sand. But I do think that in the coming years, as a result of this season, which keeps on going, there will be more and more people who might just start looking beyond the beach for some solid ground and might be open to the rock. That's a perspective shift. That doesn't occur in theory. That occurs in reality. So back to another behavior example that we mentioned. Why, again, did someone give money to a church at this time like this? Why? They have concluded that giving to God's work isn't just a good idea. They've concluded that it's a key factor for God's blessing on their life. How did they learn that? Did they read about it in the Bible? 
Probably. Have I talked about it? Yeah. But that, isn't, that doesn't change behavior. More importantly, at some point in their life, they decided to try it. They decided to give the way God says to give. And they got to see personally how God responded in different ways. They experienced it. I can't tell you how many stories I have heard since this past fall of what God has done in the lives of people who decided to be generous. You know what's true about that? They will not forget that experience. For them, generosity isn't just true. It isn't just a good idea. It isn't just something that I plan to do when I have enough money and have taken care of everything else. No, to them, generosity is as real as that wall. They've experienced it. But we need more than just personal experiences. We also need shared experiences. And that's because our values, that second filter, is shaped not by personal experience, but by shared experience with other people. I just read that the home values in our area went up again last month. Why? Did you decide to raise the value of your house? No, I didn't decide to raise the value of my house. Who decided? The market did. What's the market? A bunch of people is what the market is. It's what everyone who is buying is willing to pay. They are the ones who decide what's valuable and how valuable it is. And here's the principle. Value, whether it's the value of your house or what God says is valuable, value is never established independently. It's always established collectively. I can't just artificially say, you know what? This is more important than that. I have got to see it in the lives of other people. For me to begin to wonder, this might just be a real value. See, in the Bible, God gives us a clear list of what he values and what he doesn't value. But again, that's just a list floating out there in the space of ideas. It's when we see it in the lives of other people that we might begin to think, huh, I wonder if this does have value. In that Luke 16 verse, where Jesus is confronting those religious leaders about not being generous, their response to him was to sneer. They actually laughed. Had they never read the Bible? Oh, these guys had memorized it. So how could they laugh at what Jesus, Jesus was saying the truth? Jesus points to why this doesn't phase them at all. You are the ones, he says, who justify yourselves in the marketplace of your friends, in the eyes of men, other people. Their friends were living statements about the value of money. So that's what they valued. We do the same thing. It's really hard for us to believe that something is valuable when no one else that we care around us thinks that it is. We pick up our values from our culture. Mostly we pick up our values from the people that we let into our hearts. It doesn't matter as much what God says is valuable. It matters what our friends think is valuable. 
The problem is, it doesn't matter to God what's trending in the marketplace of values. That doesn't change the list. What this means is that if you and I decide that we really want to change our list of values, we're going to have to get intentional around the people that we let into our hearts and the people we guard our hearts from. That doesn't mean we're mean to people. We just don't let them in, in the deep parts of our hearts. You see, when you pick your close friends, what you're actually deciding is your list of values. That's what you're really deciding. You're not just saying, hey, who do I like and who's cool and who's fun? And you're saying, you know what? Whatever your list is, that's going to affect my list. That's what we're deciding. And that's why Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Parents, this is going to be one of your biggest challenges. You can raise your kids to know the truth about God, and then your kids can form friendships and rewrite over everything that you've told them. You watch that happen in their adolescent years. This is why church is so important. There's no guarantees. The, the challenge in raising kids is we are given the biggest influence in their hearts, but we are not given the keys to change their hearts. Only God can do that. But by being a part of a church, you get them around, potentially, friends over time who can really validate for them what God says is valuable. Not what the culture says is valuable. We don't have control over our kids, but we can help them learn how to guard their hearts as we learn to guard our hearts. As it says, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your insight. I pray now that you would help through the power of the Holy Spirit to drive this truth into our hearts through experience. Help us to take some part of what you've said in the Bible and actually do it this week so that we might experience the reality of it. You might help us to get intentional about who we spend time with, even the media friends that we hang out with, so that we might value the things that you value. We do not want to get to the end of our life to discover that we have been structuring our decisions around things that don't really matter. I pray that this would become real to us and that we might walk in your ways rather than stumble over them. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.